Hey, Augmenters, Julie, here we are. We're cruising through season two already on the second episode, and we were lucky enough to have your best friend growing up, Tanara Schneider. I'm so grateful for her in so many ways. Um, She has always been a mentor to me and having the opportunity to chat with her and see how incredible her career has been. But most importantly, how she is really showing up around helping others change the way they show up at work and how workplaces can do better by their employees. I was, my mind was a bit blown. What did you think? She is so real in her approach to caring about others. She she re- I don't think she really uses the word empathy, but it oozes out of everything she's saying about how much she wants to connect people. So individually and as a whole, we are stronger and therefore the benefit is happier, healthier, whatever. Uh, the the power of like the connections that she sees in people, not wants in people, but sees that's already there and just wants to bring out of them. It's a really inspiring story and conversation. Oh my gosh, totally. And, and especially as she's talking about, you know, sort of mentoring today, especially related to the workplace, because obviously she spends a lot of time counseling companies on how to help the organization show up better in the workplace. One thing that I loved about her and I've always loved about her is that idea of identity and understanding yourself better, being able to communicate yourself better, and also for others to be able to better understand you and to be thinking about how individuals show up in the workplace, what their identity is, and how that manifests itself. So while this wasn't something I think was even on my radar as we were working through our eight principles, really thinking about identity and as that shows up in the connection space, uh, I think is really important. It is really, really important. I think it's something that we could probably do a whole nother principle on, honestly. I like how you're already starting to expand the principles. I, I feel pretty good with eight because I run out of fingers and then it's hard to count. <laughs> but you get, too, get too high on you, uh, <laughs> to, get too high on you, Jimmy. Yeah, watch out. I'll start talking about square roots and then you're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> But there's something about that term showing up that Tanara, again, doesn't talk about directly. But I love this definition that when you show up, you do so by bringing kindness and helping others, not just thinking of yourself, and that you give people the respect, not that they deserve, but that because we are all humans, because we are all within some kind of social agreement because we literally have evolved to be together, that you immediately start with respect. And that is this underlying theme that you're talking to, that Tanara just kind of, you you feel almost the weight of the ocean shifting when talking to her, that she's like, this is how it will be. Not now it should, this is how it will be, which is really exciting. She is incredible. She is incredible. And I feel so grateful to have known her for this long. And she has been an individual and really celebrated identity in herself and others from the very beginning. So I'm super excited to share this awesome conversation with y'all. Very exciting. So without further ado, this is Tanara Schneider. She likes to describe herself as leader by design, badass by nature, She currently is a managing director at Accenture, but that is definitely not an 
an identifier for her. That's just what she happens to do for work. She has a wide range of experiences about bringing design to people. And she truly believes that a picture is worth a thousand words. And also she has some very interesting little tips in here about what to do if you're in between gigs, something you might not have thought of. So if you're a new mentee, listen up. There's a couple good tips in there. Here we go. Tanara, did you make it back to the States? I know you've been traveling all over. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in uh, I was in the UK in early October, but all good. All good, all good. Been home since. Was supposed to take a couple trips, mix them all. Was supposed to actually head out to New York. Yeah. Mix that. Too much stuff going on here. But hopefully in the new year, life will it, – it won't relax. Hopefully things will, the conditions will just be better for me to travel. <laughs> Go with that. Yeah. Tanara is a busy, busy lady. Very busy lady. So thank you for taking the time to chat with I us. Am, but I don't work Fridays anymore, Julie. I did it. What? You don't, don't work, work Fridays? Fridays nope. But I find that I'm so, so, so much more productive hmm. during the week. It's really nice because I don't have all that like wandry, like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. I actually get to say, as long as I get all this stuff done, Friday's mine. It's a very different motivator. And it works for my effed up brain so so as you're so how how did you come to that decision was there was there a way you were like inspired around somebody kind of inspire you around that? yeah so i have a colleague i have a colleague who works four days a week and when she said that i was like that's real that's a thing you do that's really cool and so we started talking and she was actually, she's in the UK. So when I was over there, we got a chance to have coffee and sit down and just chat. And I've really been feeling like my life is a sort of nonstop rat race, right? Like it just goes and goes and goes and goes. And so if it's not, you know, I've got Ruby every other week. So if it's not like race through the workday to be done so I can go spend time with Rubes, and then get up in the next day, do it all over again. And the weekend, if she's with her dad, it's race to get a bunch of like either house stuff done, do the laundry, catch up with friends who I haven't had a chance to see in a couple weeks, whatever it is, and then wake up Monday and do it all over again, right? And it's a rat race of work. And then I pick her up and then it starts all over. So I had absolutely no time in there or couldn't find a way to create time. Like, I'm not even just going to say like somebody took it. Like I couldn't find a way to create time for myself to just Mm -hmm. stop, think and like clear the decks so that the weekend isn't just a blur that I miss because we're trying to do so many things and I'm not trying to pile errands and, you know, read that book or those articles I need to read. So I'm smarter next week. Like I need to be, or, you know, breathe and like reflect on my week. Um, and I'm also um, doing some coaching now with folks. And so I needed a space mm-hmm. where I could park, I could park that, that was reliable. So I could mm-hmm. say I can meet Fridays. Here's how we'll do this. And so when I say I'm not working Fridays, like I'm not working, I'm not doing Accenture work. I'm working a compressed schedule so that I can get everything done and everybody knows that they have what they need. I'm trying to be responsible to my team so I can be responsible to myself. So I love that statement. Responsible to my team so I can be responsible to myself. 
Tanara, this is huge. Um, this is, I think, really what everybody is trying to figure out how to get to is how do they set boundaries with their time? How do they say no? How do they prioritize? And how do they make the most of the time that they're working? And we hear so much all the time, great resignation, the great burnout, people oh, yeah. who are exhausted. So could you give us like a little bit of a walkthrough in your journey overall, which I know is just a ton of amazing, winding, incredible roads. And then kind of how you got to being able to get to the position where you're where you're saying where you're saying no. And let's hear like how we can help others do the same. Yeah, I think that was out of the eight principles, right? For augmenters, that was like roadmap was the one that stood out to me because I know, like I know I had no roadmap. None. Of course you're Julie's good friend because Julie just loves, you know, Dora the Explorer. So that's <laughs> well, her favorite spirit guide by far. Yeah. She's a badass. She is a badass. But I think that's the thing. I think I've treated in hindsight, right? Like let's let's not even pretend like I had a clue what I was doing. Like that's that's not let's not lie. There was no clue. I I jumped into this thing and I have treated it like some sort of, you know, archaeological exploration right? As I've gone through it, I want to understand and learn more. I'll take random left turns and do things that people don't expect. And frankly, that my mother has never really understood. Um, <laughs> God bless her. I love her support. She's so supportive, but she's just like, I don't know what you, what you do. I don't understand you. Um, but you know, the way it started was just as unexpected as the way it's gone. So I, you know, I left, I left undergrad degree in, you know, in English lit, and decided I was going to get a dual master's in African-American studies and education. I was going to go change the world. I was going to go be this amazing educator because I had no clue what I wanted to do. That seemed like the most logical space, right? Teaching and something in the humanities seemed like it made sense. And frankly, I was tired of studying dead white men. So I figured I'd just go study some dead black people. Cool. Sounded like, <laughs> sounded like a good idea. And while I was in LA, UCLA, I had the absolute worst academic experience possible on so many fronts. Like that's a whole other podcast altogether. Um, and probably has alcohol involved and it's only 10 o'clock in the morning here. So it's, it's too, it's too early for me to be drinking. Um, but what, what resulted in it was I got an internship at the museum of tolerance in Los Angeles. And I started to understand a little bit more about myself, both as a, creator of things, in some ways a technologist at the time, and also as a woman of color who has a fairly complicated background. So my mom by heritage is Jewish. That was never really something that I, I spent time in temple with Julie and Stephanie and other people that I grew up with, but you know, never something that we accessed as my as a family. You know, my dad is black and from Alabama, long line of Baptist preachers, like it's a whole set of things happening there. But the conversion is also an only yeah. child as I am. And I. Yes, we are. I am. Also yeah. Yes. Same thing. Right. And so I also didn't have that blueprint. Like I didn't have an older sibling or anything really. Um, the closest was my god sister who I grew up with, who also went to the same place I did for undergrad and I had known her, but we had very different lives. So get into this internship and I'm spending time in a couple of different spaces as a docent walking people through the museum floor from 1919 to 1945 through World War II, through the Holocaust. That's some deep, 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 deep shit. And 
also spending time creating educational programs for kids who were too young to be on the museum floor. And so I started to understand education differently and things I was passionate about that I thought were classroom-based a little bit differently. This is all in hindsight. I'm just going to be honest, right? While I was in it, I was like, wow, this is really cool. I get to talk to Holocaust survivors and I get to do all these things and I get to play in these spaces and give people these amazing experiences. And the other piece of that experience was working with the museum while they were doing programs around tolerance for LA County employees, because it was just post, right? This is 97, 96, 97, post Rodney King. And there were ex-neo-Nazis who were converted um, from Nazism who were there delivering these tolerance programs to police and to firefighters. And watching that kind of grace under fire was just an immense, I think, lesson in leadership and lesson in self-leadership, but also how do you give something of yourself and your experiences to help make other people better? So that was really cool. I came back to Chicago, could not get a job. So amazing. Totally unemployed. You know, and this was in the day and age of sending out like paper resumes, right? So you send out these paper resumes and you hear nothing. And my mom's like, you should just go walk in to employ like these employment offices. I was like, nobody has employment offices anymore. They're all HR offices and nobody wants to talk to you. So I started temping because I needed money. And I got my first job in IT temping for somebody who was going on maternity leave. It was supposed to be eight weeks. And I was in an IT department in a financial services organization. And I'd started just helping to support the training team because they were going out and delivering all this technology training. They were moving from like old green screen terminals to windows, which I understood. I understood tech. I could write training manuals. So that's what I did. I stayed after my eight week temp gig was up. I stayed and became a corporate trainer. And I started on this really weird journey that has ended up really being about helping people navigate systems and making systems suck less for the people who are involved in them. Whether that's, you know, the kinds of systems that I spent a lot of time in, in terms of like digital products and creating that out in the world, or the stuff I do now around leadership and culture, it's been a really winding road, like to get there, but that's where it started. It started completely by chance, had no clue what I was doing and was like, well, this seems like fun. I think I'll keep doing this. You know, and and I stayed for a while, and then I got bored, which is usually what happens. I usually get bored and take a left turn somewhere. So that went to which you know I think Julie, you certainly know. Like I did that for a while. I moved to Tribune Company and did huge systems implementations for Tribune at twenty six with no idea what I was doing, except I knew I had really smart people around me. And somewhere along the way, I figured out that everything, like I said, was about people. So a lot of what I was doing when I was there was because there were mergers and acquisitions that were happening. And we were going in and doing, you know, putting new systems into people's companies, but that also meant replacing people. It wasn't just replacing technology, we were replacing people, leaders that these folks had been with for years. And I just remember one instance of walking in to the LA Times, right after we had acquired Times Mirror, and Somebody said, well, you guys can take those offices over there. And I looked at my team and I was like, you'll sit on the floor before you'll sit in that office. Mm-hmm. That was the one thing I knew was like, you will not go sit in somebody's former boss's office. I don't care if you sit at a folding table. I don't care if you don't have a desk. That's not what you're going to do. And so we sat out in the pit, like in these sort of disheveled sets of desks, but 
it was just an instinct, I think, that I knew that that was not the way we were going to enter that space. And so I think I've taken that way. I've, yeah, I've taken mm-hmm. that with me. Um, just the the look on people's faces and recognizing the context of the place that you're in and how the things that you're going to do are going to impact the folks around you. Um, and I left there and I burned out and I went to culinary school. Like right after 9-11, I was like, I've been flying all over the place for two years. I'm tired. I just needed to do something else. And so it took a left turn. I went to culinary school. Um, I cooked for a while. And strangely enough, on the other side of cooking and doing event planning, which taught me all sorts of stuff, again, about leadership and how you create experiences for others and how you make something really special and make something that could really have sucked, like the planning of a massive event, suck less for the people involved. Shocker of all shockers. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I went back to temping. (laughs) (laughs) So I did it again, right? I, I got a temp job. I looked around and that's what took me to New York. So I was, you know, I moved to New York because I really wanted to get back into training, but find something a little bit different. And so I went to work for JetBlue and I joined their e-learning team and spent Mm. almost four years designing the e-learning program there from the ground up with an amazing group of folks learning all about aviation. Um, And from there, I jumped into the agency world. So lots and lots of winding roads, but jumped into the agency world in New York uh, in 2006 and sort of in and out, but a lot of that on the consumer facing side. So the early part of my career on the internal side, and then flipped it over and spent a lot of time on the external side, um, doing product and service innovation and development with, um, with various clients and different agencies, did a two year stint at Playboy doing front end design and development, um, as a leader in that practice, and then, uh, came over to the consulting world in 2014. And now I lead leadership and culture for Accenture in North America. So who are some of, I'd love to hear a little about some of the people that were yeah. guiding you along in all of, in, in this journey, of course, besides, you know, me and your mom. Well, yeah, well, my mom were constants. Um, you know, it's interesting when I look back, I, I was trying to pull forward folks that made a material impact and it was, it's so easy to point at like bosses, but it was almost never like my direct boss who was the inspiration or the person that I found like a deep connection with in that way that really pushed me forward. So I would say if I look back at my days at Tribune, it was actually at that point, And like, she was like my boss's boss, this woman, Annette from one of the first companies that I ever worked for actually doing some e-learning development work. Um, and that was incredible. Like she was, but she wasn't incredible in that she gave me all this amazing career direction. I think she was an example for me of what it looked like to be a woman who was compassionate, but also career driven and really gave me a, a, a sense of like, Oh, I don't have to, I don't have to be like buttoned up with like, you know, no emotions and no, I can actually be myself. Right. So like that was kind of my first real visible (laughs) person in leadership that I was like, Oh, that's a different way to do that. That's kind of cool. Maybe I could do that. And then my, uh, one of my pastry professors though, who I will never forget. And actually she and I are still, 
are still friends to this day, Susan Taves. She's just, Susan has done some amazing things with her career, but the thing that I appreciated about Suze was her, the way she brought her background and culture into the kitchen. So we could have had a very boring sort of pastry class and learned to make cakes and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, Susan would also bring things like empanadas into the, you know, into the class and talk to us about different ways of seeing food and pastry and different flavors we could create. And over time, she's gone on to become, you know, kind of an independent caterer. She's also worked in um, like big corporate kitchens, like helping them set the tone for how they want um, their staff to eat, things like that. Like she's just really sort of diversified her career over time. Um, and she was a mom, she was a single mom of two kids. Right. So, and, and her kids are, are phenomenal people as well. So it was making connections like that and watching people more than it was like pithy things that they said um, that have really stuck with me. As I've gotten older, I've had some pretty amazing mentors. The one thing I recognized a couple of years ago, though, is that a lot of the mentors in my corporate life have been men. And that really, really bothered me. I think not because there wasn't, not because there weren't women present, but a lot of the women who were inspirational to me were my peers. And that was wonderful. But the people who were mentoring and sponsoring my career were men. And so that's something that I'm like actively seeking to change um, through a couple different routes. But like that really, it, it stuck with me because there were times when I felt like that was not a good thing. I had a, I did have a boss at one time and I will not mention his name who effectively told me that um, it was too soon for me to be having an opinion about the organization. And I should probably be quiet for another six months. And I was like, well, you interviewed me and you hired me. So you knew what you were getting. Um, <laughs> maybe you should have thought twice about that. Because I'm, I'm, I wasn't that person in my interview. I'm not going to be that person while I'm here. Um, and so it's, you know, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting road. I, uh, I, as I find these amazing people now around me, um, I'm inspired by folks like Asma Khan, who um, owns the Darjeeling Express in the UK, and the way in which she founded Darjeeling Express with women from her neighborhood who were all housewives who were cooking. Mm-hmm. And has given has given them a completely different career path that they would never have thought was possible. Um, and I saw her when I was in uh, London in October, decided to go and eat there. I'd never eaten there before, just completely fangirled. And she came out in the middle of dinner service because the kitchen was slow and people were complaining. And she basically gave a, a beautiful 10-minute diatribe about the state of women in the culinary industry and why all of these mostly white people should be really grateful that they were in here eating the food of these women who have cooked for their families, their entire lives and always put themselves second. And at the end it was this, you know, standing ovation. And I don't think out of, I don't think out of a sense of obligation, like she was so impassioned and so forthright and so honest. And that is what I seek in leaders who inspire me. And those leaders legitimately come from every direction. My daughter is one of my biggest inspirations. That child knows who she is, goes for it, and is frankly generally unapologetic about it. So I'd love to hear, and it sounds like, you know, Ruby's kind of teaching you that as well. She's very much being her genuine yeah. self. And as we're seeing people come into the workforce, I think part of this burnout is this idea of having to put on a mask, putting on your face to go to work and having it to be somebody else. Do you have any sort of advice for people coming into the workforce at this point to be able to 
be able to be more authentic with themselves? Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that I, I hope we start talking about is like relevant authenticity, right? I, I'm always myself. Who I choose to show you doesn't mean that I'm not like being myself in every situation, but there are certain things that I'm not going to let everybody I work with into, right? So this whole bring yourself to work movement is is beautiful and glorious. It it honestly doesn't mean you need to like walk in and alley sheety your bag, right? Like dump <laughs> the whole thing out, like have a breakfast club moment and your tampons and stuff are rolling around on the floor. Like let's let's be honest about what we need to see of one another and let's show up. And I think my thing about authenticity is I want to show up as my best, most relevant contextual self. Like that's how I look at it. So on a daily basis, no, I'm, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to go overboard. I'm on this computer every single day staring at people. Yeah. Do I generally like have some form of sweat pant or com- <laughs> comfy pant on, even if I'm wearing a nice shirt? Yes, I do. You know why? Cause I'm in my house. <laughs> like, but what I, what I would say to people who are, are coming into the work, place or who have been there forever and who are wrestling with this is figure out in every context who you actually need to be. And don't put so much pressure on yourself to like need to be everything to everybody. Like I don't have to be my most authentic black self in every moment. Like it doesn't actually like that that doesn't have to come with me. I am always that. I present as that. That's who I am. Here I am high. I don't have to be every single thing in every moment. So one of the things I talk to people about that I mentor especially is before you walk into any meeting, who do you need to be in that room? Right. And think about that because I think it actually helps you be the person you need to be and not put so much pressure on the situation. Right. I don't always need to be the person who says all the things in the room. Generally, I actually need to be the person in the room who listens and creates a space for other people to talk which means I don't have to be so self-conscious about always being like, I've got to have all my words perfect. And I've got, it's like, I actually have to be a good listener. If I can just be a good listener and I can help guide the conversation, then it gives me a role to play that I can, I can reckon with. Right. If on the other hand, I have to have these moments, which I had a couple this week where I had to have like really my really big presentation self there. And I was presenting and I had to be on you know, those are the moments when I go, okay, how do I, how do I want to look in this moment? Not just how do I want to feel, but how do I want to look? What am I presenting to people? So, you know, when I used to go and give keynotes or run meetings in person, it was much more about like the, you know, what am I wearing? What are the shoes? Like, you know, all that stuff. That's just how I think. Beyond sweatpants. I remember those days. (laughs) Beyond sweatpants. (laughs) Right. It's like, what's the, what's the costume? And it is a costume. It's not to diminish it, but what's the costume for the day that I need to have on? These days, what I'm honestly thinking about is like, do I need to take my glasses off so people can really see my face? Because my glasses are reflecting back the computer. So if I need you to see me and I need you to connect with me, probably going to take my glasses off. I'm going to sit fairly close to the screen. I'm probably not going to have on a scarf. Um, I want you to see my hair, which is big and crazy, right? So it's how am I presenting myself? And in those moments, I get to choose the pieces of me that are the most relevant to bring forward. And I can let some of the other pieces rest. And like, how do you even show up if it is mentoring relationships too, as we're talking about that, you know, and I think that's something we have created around augmenters was 
a lot of organizations that just smash people together, right? It's like, oh, you're this level, you're this level, you're a woman, you're a woman, you're whatever, you're whatever, and here you go, like go be best friends. But match made in hell. How match made in hell? Match made in hell. Exactly. Oh my God, I love that. It'd be like our hashtag. I, I, or, or maybe like match made in like an uncaring void. Yeah. You know, where, <laughs> where nobody. Yeah. Um, but I love that is really how do you, you know, all those whole pieces of yourself. I have not heard that so um, beautifully uh, put together and knowing how to show up differently for different people in different relationships. So as a mentor and the mentee, you're showing up as a part of your authentic self, but you don't necessarily need to be all of everything. Um, I love that. And that I think will create probably better longer term relationships where people can really help support each other over time. Yeah. One of my strengths, so we do this um, Gallup Strengths Finder at Accenture. One of my strengths is individualizer. Um, and it shows up in the relationships that I have with people, um, largely because I actually want to understand the people that I'm talking with, that I'm mentoring, who are mentoring me, my sponsors. Like I, I want to understand them so that I know how, and it's not, I think some people think it's being disingenuous. It's not, I want to understand how to contextualize the things that I'm saying or I'm asking for in a way that is going to connect with that individual. Did, did somebody along the way, like kind of show you or like clearly leave, you know, whatever, like, you know, the, the gilded floor above to come talk to you in a way that like it's stuck in your head that, Oh, like, Hey, I can then do this and leave my team when I go into the Tribune co or, you know, how do you think you, you had that like, like amazing cl- clarity of action in that moment that totally changed the entire context of your engagement with your new coworkers? Honestly, when I was at Mesro financial, the, the two leads of the company um, were really approachable as leaders, right? They were, they were sort of always around and I, I never really felt like I couldn't approach them. When I was at JetBlue, um, the, our chief learning officer, Mike Berger, was one of the warmest people I've, I think I've ever met. Like I remember thinking the day that I started, like my employee orientation day, like I got, you know, Mike gave me a hug. Like it was that kind of space where he cre- like, and that was the family feeling that we had there. And I felt like we could learn, we all learned so much from one another in that space. I think I've been fortunate in that way mm-hmm. to have people who created permeable barriers between those who were perceived to have authority and those who were perceived to not have authority because, and I, the shift of the word perception is important to me because when you look from the outside in, it may look like, well, these are the people in charge and these are the people who are not in charge. But ultimately the end of the day, we all know that the way we practice being together is very different from that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's one of the reasons I hate the term reverse mentors. Mm. I cannot stand the term reverse mentoring. It drives me nuts. You can be mentored by anybody. It's about the relationship you have, not about who has more experience, perceived experience than the other, because there's a gift that both people in that situation can give. Right. Pokemon evolutions. Yeah, I, I I I wish we could say that our production brief had uh, you know uh, prompted you to to bring something like that, and we had teed you up. But we uh, 
I think, I mean, and Julie will be more eloquent about this in a moment, probably about reverse mentoring, but, you know, the evolution about, and that's kind of why I asked the question about your daughter in a way, because it seemed like she was already as a younger person, you're talking about perceived authority, age is always playing a role in there as is gender and race and all these other uh, different attributes that, that change us. Uh, How, and, and, and then, of course, you also never want someone to be like, hey, will you be my mentor? Because that's like the easiest way to be like, yeah, we're never talking again. I feel creepy, creeped out already. Uh, so it, is there a way that you feel, uh, and I'm sure you've had this where when you're talking to somebody who might be younger, you're actually learning more from that individual when you are technically in the mentor, the older role. Uh, you know, it, what has made you feel comfortable or immediately made it able to like kind of tease out these learnings where the power quite clearly, not just perceived, but in the relationship between two people, the power is to the one that historically hasn't had the power. My response tends to be cool. I don't know you, like, especially if I don't know them very well, I don't know you very well. So let's just have a conversation. Let's just talk and see if there's something we think we can both get out of this. Um, And I know that certainly Mm -hmm. in my organization, a lot of what people are looking for is not just mentorship, but sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And there's a massive difference between mentorship and sponsorship, right? Sponsors can open doors for you. Mentors can help you figure out how to walk through the door with the right kind of, you know, elegance, grace, presence, et cetera, whatever it is you need. Um, and those are wildly different things. In the position that I'm in, in my organization, more times than not, I am, I'm helping to sponsor folks. Hmm. The people that I have active mentoring relationships with are folks where we both get something out of the conversation that we have every single time. It's rarely a one-way street. And so I try to get to know folks. And again, it's the individualizer in me, right? I want to understand you. I want to even know mm-hmm. if this is going to be a, a match made in you know, heaven, hell, or the, you know, the undescribable void, right? Like, how did this happen? Um, and I've been matched with some folks as mentors. I have a mentor right now uh, through a program that we're doing. And I was very explicit about what I needed and wanted in my mentor. All right. So tell me what, why is it so hard Tanara, for us to come up with a new word uh, or some kind of description where like, we already said reverse mentoring, throw that out the door, you know, mentor mentee is, and why that's old is really the whole reason Julie and I are talking about augmentoring. You know, what, where is that challenge? Is that because people still want to cling to the idea that like the kind of fluid, like electron clouds of like two people in a relationship is, is like, that's like almost too concerning because, you know, changing roles that like fluidly is a challenge. I mean, where, where do you think those issues will lie? Why why can't you get a better word? Power. It's a, it's power dynamics. Yeah. Right. That's why we have to have words like. Reverse mentoring, reverse racism. Like we have to, we have to describe the relationship in a way that says, "Well, it's the opposite of the other thing." It's like actually, it's the same exact thing. Like there's no difference. You just don't want to. You don't want to be in a position where you're being taught by somebody who's younger than you. Like that's what it comes down to. Old people like power, (laughs) and our seriously, our these are all power structures. Right? Like, I mean, that's what we've been talking about. This permeable barrier around authority. It's a power structure. So we couldn't possibly have, you know, I mean, like I'll say it, like I have people who work technically report to me who are older than me. That is something that is 
can be so unfathomable for so many people that you could possibly have somebody who's younger than you in a perceived position of authority in any way. And it even goes down to things like mentoring. Because mentoring, I think, for so many people has meant that we are, we're like, we're sitting at the, you know, we're sitting on the floor at the knees of somebody who's far wiser than we are. And it's like, we, we assume that wisdom comes with age. It might just come with experience that's different than yours. And so how we think about age and experience, if somebody's, you know, if I'm trying to understand, here's a, a perfect example, me trying to understand blockchain. I get technology. Yeah. I don't love blockchain. It's fine. I get it. There is one of the people in the practice that I used to run at Accenture understands blockchain and can explain it so well. And so for a while I was working with James on a project and I was like, can you please sit me down and explain blockchain to me? Cause I, I know nothing compared to you. And I would really like to understand these things. And so you have to be willing to ask that of others and not care about their age. Like if my kid understood blockchain, I would have asked her, like, Ruby, <laughs> can you explain blockchain to me? I don't get it. She but, will. And she will. Right. But like, we can look at the fact that the folks who have built a lot of the technology that is running our companies certainly are younger than the CEO. Yeah. I'd like to know how many CEOs have deigned to go sit on the, like, next to one of their engineers and been like, explain this to me. I don't understand this. And I feel stupid when I talk about it. 100%. And it's actually, when Jimmy and I first started talking too, because Jimmy was kind of mentoring me initially with my business, just helping me. And, you know, Jimmy's a little bit younger, just a little bit um, than us. And so as entrepreneurs, I think you do often feel like always, if somebody has more experience than you, Mm -hmm. you want to know what they know. But I do think and of course, my clients are big corporate clients. And I think there is that corporate structure yes. um, that's a bit different than when you're outside of it. And it is. It is just a power structure. Mm-hmm. And that's part of our goal, I think, with this work that we're doing is to try to really allow others to... I, I keep going back to what you said, Tanara. It was so brilliant about how do you bring all these pieces of your whole self together. And some of that is humility and asking for help and knowing that you don't have all the answers and finding the right people to help you. And at the end of the day, that's how we're all going to get further, faster together. Well, Julie, I'd love to ask you some questions about what you and Tanara were doing as high schoolers together, but that's probably for... It was bad. It was all bad. It sounds like good trouble, but there is... A lot more we want to dive into here, which is, I mean, the, a powerful takeaway I have from what Tanara said was reverse mentoring, reverse racism. It's no different. Those terms are here to describe power structures and how Tanara so clearly connected those two really resonated with me. I would totally agree. And the thing that I really feel like I got out of it was it's, she's kind of laying out a roadmap of how organizations need to move forward. I run an organization outside of Buck Ventures, um, and we are struggling with these exact issues, as I think everybody is. How do you dismantle some of these structures that have been in place that are not working anymore and really caring and showing up for each other, being humble, right? As she talks about kind of having the CEO come down and say, I don't understand this. Can you explain it to me? I think these kind of uh, ideas and messages and the way people are hopefully going to start to show up more in the world 
this is how the world is gonna is gonna move, which is really exciting. And also for a lot of people, a hundred percent terrifying. Is there anybody that's not a little scared? I and I think that's okay, right? Absolutely. I think that's that is what has to happen. And any kind of change is terrifying. And any kind of change losing power is terrifying because you're afraid you're not gonna be relevant anymore. If you have power, that means I don't have it. Or we could actually all have power. We could all have power in our own ways. It's a huge mindset shift. I'm excited to even just be having these conversations right now. Yeah, I mean, instead of like the Napoleonic Wars game theory where the only one winner can occur, I think you're right. It's not one person has power or another person has power. You know, the CEO does need to acknowledge that that 20-something engineer is critical to the CEO's power. And how can you really be able to share and build confidence in each other where we start realizing that not everybody wants a C in front of their title and that kind of power. They might just want a power over their Fridays. Yeah. And that autonomy. And to be able to, I love, I love love her talk about her Ali Shady moment, you know, to show up authentically work, but everybody doesn't need to hear everything all the time, which uh, I know sometimes can, can be hard, but yeah, I think I think let's just follow her roadmap. She's like our Dora. I would love to go to the fiesta with Tanara. That sounds fun. I'm in. <laughs> That's I'm our in. goal. That's our goal. Hopefully another episode with her. So thanks everybody for listening. Jimmy, I'll kick it over to you. That's great. Well, uh, I think it's wonderful that Tanara can show that starting with a temp job, you can then become a power player at one of the big three consulting firms. And How Tanara did that was really because she realized that real relationships have the power to transform organizations and build dynamic cultural connections. So here at Augmenters, please visit our website for more interactive content, augmenters.us. Please like, subscribe, and most importantly, share our podcast with someone you care about. Feel free to drop us a line, questions, or suggestions via email, hi at augmenters.us. Or find us on your favorite social media, at AugmentersHQ. So if you want to help Julie and Jimmy in our mentoring journey, then please subscribe, because we all should ask for help. Big thank you to our producers, Erlen Cato and Sean Omendam. See ya.